Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Yields podcast. I am your host, Tom Migliaccio. At Blue Collar Yields, we will talk about real estate, entrepreneurialism, and many other topics. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts. And while there, don't forget to rate this show and subscribe. Our next guest is Jim Cotrambone. Jim is the executive director of the Joseph Fund of Camden. The Joseph Fund is a nonprofit based in the city of Camden, which proudly provides a hand up and not a handout to city residents. The organization was created by the late Monsignor Robert McDermott and supports the six nonprofits that were founded by the St. Joseph's Pro Cathedral Parish of East Camden, more affectionately known as Father Bob. Monsignor McDermott's life work played a significant role in stabilizing the city's East Camden neighborhood. Jim Cotrambone has taken the torch to lead the fundraising efforts that are necessary to support the critical organization that serves as a city leadership in housing development, homeless outreach, and education. This episode will take a look at entrepreneurship and housing from a nonprofit angle. Jim, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, can you tell us what the Joseph Fund is and how it got started? Similar to many things that are needed in Camden, it was really an outreach to serve marginalized people in Camden, and it is the brainchild of our founder, Senior Robert McDermott, better known in at least in East Camden as Father Bob. Father Bob passed a little earlier this year, and in the aftermath of his passing, I really see the wisdom of the vision of the Joseph Fund. Like most nonprofits, our middle name is fundraising to try and continue to secure resources, especially financial resources, to work that is being delivered in the neighborhoods and in the community and with a very specific focus on each individual. That was the philosophy in which we were founded, and really it was a secession plan of our founder to say there's lots of things that have been created to benefit the neighborhood and the city of Camden, what keeps that work moving forward? What adds some vision to governance that's driving those supported organizations? And what keeps a focus on really connecting the individuals who are willing and have the resource to help with those who live on the margins are in the greatest need of help. So I know that's kind of a lofty concept, but basically in 2012, it was how do we continue this work, moving it forward and bringing proper attention to it within the community of benefactors and donors. The Joseph Fund and St. Joe's Pro Cathedral are based in the East Camden. While other city neighborhoods have faced a serious decline, Father Bob's efforts are largely centered with helping stabilize this section of the city. Could you provide our listeners with a brief history of Father Bob's influence over the neighborhood? Father Bob really felt that there were two things, two pillars, if you will, that would break the cycle of multi-generational poverty. And, And the first was stability in the home. You have to have a stable base by which the family can grow, I guess is the cliche, but ultimately 
best to exist and thrive. So once you have that stability, the next layer that you put on top of that is quality education. So when Father Bob is assigned here, which happened to be his childhood neighborhood, and he looked over the horizon and he saw the influx of the immigrant population, pretty diverse, by the way, where today it's somewhere in the 82% Hispanic, uh, predominantly Mexican. There's Dominican, Nicaraguan, El Salvador. It's quite a mix here in East Camden. But there's also a population of Vietnamese, Cambodian, and then, of course, Black African-American. So with that level of diversity, sometimes it comes with more unique needs that need to be satisfied. But the stability piece for father was always have a good home and then provide quality education with the education piece probably as the primary and then the evolution of what was necessary in terms of housing. At the time that he begins this work, You've got, as you walk around the neighborhood, like one in four or five homes that either are abandoned or boarded up. And quickly, the thinking was, here are families that are in need of a stable base, and here's a neighborhood in dire need of a thriving community that can exist within the structure of the buildings and the homes. There are a lot of row homes. There are more compacted streets that are on this side of the city. So it was a natural marriage. And that effort starts in 1985. About 35 or so years later, you're looking at over 1,000 homes that have either been built from scratch or renovated. And really, the key here is not just the rehab of a physical property. It's actually the focus on the wholeness of the individual that Father Bob was most focused on and really has kind of demanded as a part of the philosophy that drives each of the nonprofits that the Joseph Fund has affiliation with. The house is an easy visual. You can't always see the inside of the person, but a lot of the undertone of the work we do is really working with the mind, the heart, the soul of the individual so that if they are whole, then all these other things can be made possible. And how that happens is education. If you have a family that's operating at or below the poverty line and you know can't even perceive ownership of property. It's a cycle that continues to go downward. However, if you build a structure that they can operate upon and you show them the steps that are necessary for not just ownership, but maintenance and ongoing continuing ownership, maybe through a second or even a third generation, then you've built an equity position within that family structure that changes the course of their life forever. So it can manifest in, as you were saying, how did it stabilize that section of the city? What it did was it made it the most residential area of the city of Camden. It has the single only commercial corridor with great evidence of entrepreneurship because there's a neighborhood that's in place to support that. And you have the greatest demand for early child care um, because families are now staying and they are growing. And the need for that growth begins at a pretty early age. So it, it kind of becomes an all-encompassing series of efforts that actually do have impact on a section of the city. You guys cover everything. And the first thing you touched on is the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society. 
Now, from the outside, their greatest achievement was Baldwin Run, and that was a redevelopment project that turned the dilapidated and dangerous Westfield Acres housing complex into an attractive mixed-income housing community. The project was a huge success and also featured in the New York Times. Can you walk us through how that has impacted the neighborhood? Substantially. At one point, it was considered some of the most dangerous area in the city. In the 60s and 70s, the strategy for public housing was to have high rises so that a large population could be served within a relatively small footprint. However, what happened over at Westfield Acres is that it became this magnet, if you will, for a lot of criminal activity. So you had pretty active drug activity, you had prostitution, theft, robbery, assaults, all of the things that you see as not attractive for a particular area. And so the thinking was that that strategy really had failed. And so some of the initiatives for urban development through HUD and some of these national federal programs, you apply that thinking with a really strong philosophy on how do you build a thriving community with the application of some really wise individuals like a guy by the name of Sean Klosky, who was working with Father, and his wife, Pillar Hogan Klosky, who still exists today as the executive director for the St. Joe's Carpenter Society. You see a vision that then if you can find the proper resources, and it took about $30 million of that program funding to apply to the construction of what has now become about 220 homes throughout that settlement area. But they applied a strategy that was really unique and now has become the standard for the way that that type of development is done in the urban areas in eight counties of South Jersey. And that was, instead of displacing all of the residents that were going to remain and trying to invite them back once these homes were built, statistics say that only about 12% of the persons that are displaced actually return to that neighborhood. Again, with this focus on the individual, the idea was, How about if we go to the furthest reaches of the footprint that we're going to develop and we put the homes in and slowly migrate the qualified homeowners from the high rise and into the neighborhood so that there was never any loss of that population or any loss of continuity in the way that they live. One of the problems that commonly occurs in low-income areas is transiency. And so there's real instability that exists within the family and very difficult for children to really have a stable footing, which interrupts socialization skills and that kind of thing. Well, this Baldwin's Run strategy really surpassed the expectations of all by taking advantage of these HOPE 6 grants that HUD was providing and revitalizing the worst of the public housing projects, perhaps considered one of the most violent cities in the country. So you might be so bold as to say one of the best public housing projects in the United States, and it combines mixed income development, which means that you not only had folks that were renting, you had homeowners in the same area intertwined. And what that does is it really cross-pollinates so that the pride factor in maintaining that neighborhood really rises to the level that the owner is dictating. 
to some degree puts a little pressure on some of the other folks, but it really creates this mentality of we've got to care for ourselves. It stands as one of the centerpieces, I would say, of gentrification, a strategy that has maintained old housing into replacement housing, but has the spirit of real growth and vision. So one of the points was that Camden suffers from low home ownership rates. Can you tell us how the St. Joseph's Carpenter Society is addressing and helping with this challenge? In a phrase like, no one left behind. When someone comes to the door and has a dream and a desire for home ownership, they're never thwarted, even though they may not have any of the piece parts in place. So I think the strategy of sitting down with an individual or a couple and saying to them, let's take a look at the profile, like what is your credit rating? When you see a deer in headlights staring back at you, you realize that there's some real fundamental information that needs to be imparted to this very serious individual or couple who may just not have the piece parts that they would require to qualify for a mortgage. And what St. Joe's Carpenter is so savvy that they understand where are the programs, where are the opportunities for funding, where can that exist, and then how can we coach a family through the necessary steps to get them into the Homeowners Academy which gives them all of the background information on managing their own personal affairs, managing the continuation of support of a mortgage, repairing their credit, all of the things that are really piece parts before you can even then come in and ask for consideration of a home or a mortgage. There are some cases where we have a young grandmother that had a one and a two-year-old that came to the door. The one and two-year-old, although young, had been witness to the murder of their mother. And the grandmother was now taking over care of the two girls. And she said, I need help. I need to put these children into a better, safer environment. Can you help me? Without giving you the entire story, the day that the keys were handed over to the grandmother, those two young children were 21 and 22 years old. That's how long it took for all the things that were necessary for that family to then qualify, apply, and receive a mortgage. That's probably one of the more obscure cases. But the point is that even though it took 20 years of this coaching and this learning process, much to their credit, they stuck to it. And today have an equity position in home ownership and much to the credit of the organization, which showed the patients in wherewithal to say, we can connect the proper resources and we can still keep the lights on and gas in the car for us to show people homes. So everybody along the line could maintain what was necessary to the wholeness of the organization, but the wholeness of the family in getting to the point of their dream. You guys also do two other programs that you assist with rehabbing people's existing home, which is a mm-hmm. My Home $5,000 grant. And then can you walk us through the Lead Safe, a brief overview of it? 
there are certain qualifications that applicants would have to have. They have to live in a particular area of the city that is considered part of this development zone, if you will. And there's certain income levels that are based on size of the household and income of the household. But a qualified applicant who meets those eligibilities then can receive a $5,000 grant for upgrades to their dwelling, especially when they can show that it has a positive effect on not just the repair of the home, but the health of the family that resides within the home. So if it's like a lead remediation or an asbestosis type thing, that's where these funds are applied. So you can really show the benefit of this type of necessary upgrade and the resources necessary for them to do that. So it's an application process, an eligibility piece, but it's an incredible program that allows for that homeowner to really remediate any of the issues that might lead to poor health, especially of the youngest of children. Lead is a huge problem in the city. There's a whole program that NeighborWorks, which is a national organization that is focused on the redevelopment of urban areas, uh, has made St. Joe's Carpenter kind of a pilot program. And they did an entire outreach for welcoming in families around the city to take a look, be tested, and take the necessary steps to remediate lead that existed within their home, which of course gets into a lot of the real fundamental water supply yeah. life in the home. Great program and it is something that I think really is leveraging resources that exist and getting them into the hands of folks that otherwise would never have that opportunity to remediate. So now we've gotten the people in houses to the best we can. I know there's still a little We'd like to do as much as we can. They got to go to work. What are they going to do with their kids? So now let's talk about the Child Development Center and what this arm of the ministry does and what challenges they face. In the 1990s or so, the state of New Jersey really assessed, looked across the state and said, there are districts that are because of either a resource shortage or simply a system that is failing. We're finding that at the very earliest of ages, children are not getting the proper instruction and or care, which could include just having more than one meal over the course of a day. So child development centers were created in these what were called Abbott districts, of which you know Camden is firmly on that list. And so you are trying to, one, help persons that are, are marginalized. One thing I do want to stress in this is there's a lot of accountability on the individual, and there's also a lot of investment on the individual for their own success. There's nothing that's being handed over to an individual. There's only an opportunity for a structure that they can build upon and with their own investment, their own hard work and their own dedication, do they get to the point of fulfilling their own dream. But included in that is the Child Development Center. And at the Child Development Center, it's for pre-K, three and four-year-old children who are otherwise going to constantly be behind the eight ball, if you will, in education because they don't have the fundamental skills of learning. 
some of which might simply be language barrier. And we have 90 children, which is a, a maximum capacity for our facility. And the only reason we don't have more is because we just don't have the physical space. There are certain physical space requirements that are necessary, square footage for so many children in a classroom. And we have six classes of 15 or a total of 19 students that go there. There is, for the most part, the Board of Education subsidizes the cost of the curricula. But some of the other care, which would be known as this wraparound program, falls on the shoulders of the families to cover so that they can drop a child off before work in that 7 to 7.30 range, and can then pick their child up after work in the like 5.30 to 6 range. That's kind of a piece of tuition that is placed on the families. And then depending on where a family's economic situation is, where they are in terms of circumstance, income, health, whatever, there's a formula that's applied for what kind of assistance we, the Joseph Fund, can provide to them. So we know that if a child is enrolled in the school and the family was overburdened with additional costs and then this wraparound program for just being within the facility for a given time frame, they probably would just withdraw the child because they couldn't afford it. And then by the time a child got to public kindergarten, would be grossly behind in any of their learning skills. But because we exist in the middle of that, those children are fully ready, actually in most cases, are thriving by the age of five. In every case, they're bilingual, so they speak both English proficiently and in many cases their native tongue, which would be Spanish, and in some cases even trilingual in that some of the Vietnamese and Cambodian students have three languages that they have a certain level of proficiency in when they leave. They're really ready to go by the time they get to that first structure of kindergarten. Let's move on to another program, Joseph House. And they provide an overnight refuge for the city's homeless. Can you tell us more about the vision and the history of this program? It's quite a story. As economic struggle was hitting in the Great Recession in 2007 into 2008, there just seemed to be an increasing amount of homeless throughout the city. There at one point was a cardboard tent city that existed just outside of the center city area, part of which was just a survival piece and part of was a visual protest against what was not available for individuals that were in that real dire circumstance. And that was happening over here in East Camden. And again, a vision of our founder, Father Bob, and the people that were associated with the work he was doing felt that it just can't be that we're seeing a growing amount of a population that's homeless, without resource. In many cases, these without any kind of food exposed to the elements. And there was a food pantry over here at the church. And Again, they were finding that it was a challenge to even remain stocked. And Father said, well, it's one thing to try and help somebody and give hospitality and comfort, but it's a far greater thing to really provide some kind of a solution that gives them a structure on which they can help themselves out of their situation. 
So the idea of Joseph's house was that it would be hospitality. It started in the basement of a church on 27th Street that was a non-affiliated church. But one of Father Bob's great things was being able to identify and connect like resources. And for about three or four hours in the evening, folks could come in. They could you know, kind of wash up and get themselves together, receive a meal in cold weather, receive a hot meal in warmer weather, receive something that was a little bit more refreshing. They could hydrate. And then once they were back to some kind of stable Unfortunately, it was just hospitality in the early days of 2010, but they realized that a more permanent solution needed to be sought and marshalling some of the resources and ultimately through the assistance of a capital campaign were able to secure their own building in South Camden on Atlantic Avenue, a facility that again opened with the idea of hospitality, but now overnight stay which allowed for folks to actually rest in a safe haven and then graduate to some other services, which included showers and laundering of clothing and whatnot. So it really turned into a bona fide shelter that had a solution. But one of the things that was really different about it than possibly other places is that on day one, you are welcomed in and you're given full hospitality and a roof over your head. But on day two, it was, let's take a look at what got you to this situation. And let's start thinking about what are the resources we can apply to you that ultimately allow you to end this cycle of homelessness and be in a situation of independent living. And that has evolved now over the years. But now in 2019, We've just finished a retrofitting of the space, have increased capacity to where 90 individuals can be there given overnight. There is a five-point criteria that's used for intake of individuals who come and, and ask for assistance there. So one of the things that we have done is really taken some of the most difficult, most needy cases and accommodated their need and have seen now some years very good, like a 42% conversion of individuals from the situation they were into a permanent housing solution. Last year, it was more like 36 percentile. So I guess we average somewhere in about 40% of the persons that walk through the door ultimately are paired with the resources and referrals that they most need to whatever it is, beat their addiction, to be able to um, leverage a skill set. Not all find immediate employment, but that's more like 20% of those 40s that are converted do walk right into positions and jobs. We've got some uh, really cool stories about uh, folks that have gone from welfare to work program, which places them in jobs within the county. We've got success stories that range from desperate behavioral health to getting back to 
whole and independent living and from incarceration and addiction to the very person who interviews everyone that comes through the door is one of those persons who at one time was homeless and through a similar program was able to put himself back on his feet and working with his parole officer and, and understanding what resources might be available to him, went back to school, got a degree in social work. And today, when people come in and vie for for an opportunity to be in the shelter. Pardon the expression, but they can't BS their way into it. He knows what the deal is, and he knows the truths from the untruth. Is really able to place the people that are most in need with the proper services. Talking about the evolution of this, one of the real breakthroughs was to actually have full-time counseling in the shelter itself. And that's through very strong strategic partnerships. The investment came from Subaru, who has been a tremendous partner to many nonprofits here in the city of Camden, but really, you know, put their money where their mouth is and saying, what is it that's going to really increase your effectiveness and how can we help? Thanks for joining us for part one of Jim Cotrambone. Catch part two coming up next.